I recall a few years ago a church member's embarrassment upon delivering a few pair of mittens to an agency that provided such items to those in need, the homeless, the unemployed, the underemployed, the children. He walked in proud of his church's efforts for social justice. He walked out frustrated when his meager offering was added to the mountainous supply of winter garments that awaited sorting and distribution. And he wondered who was actually the beneficiary of such sacrificial giving. Most likely it was the donor, not the recipient. That's the problem with most church-based social action efforts. They are designed to make the person with all the goods feel good. They are structured to require minimal effort on the part of the church member. They dissuade face-to-face -face encounters with those who have little or nothing in life. And they ensure that no transformation takes place for any of the individuals or institutions involved. In other words, there is virtually nothing religious about church-based social justice programs. They may just be a colossal waste of time. They may be a diversion from the real work of the church. Now, if you have been following religion in the news lately, then you know just how diverted some of our devoted religionists have become. Jesus and Satan were having an ongoing argument about who was better on the computer. They had been going at it for days, and frankly, God was tired of hearing all the bickering. Finally, fed up, God said, that's it. I have had enough. I'm going to set up a test which will run for two hours, and from those results, I will judge who does the better job. So Satan and Jesus sat down at the keyboards and typed away. They moused, they faxed, they emailed, they emailed with attachments, they downloaded, they created spreadsheets, they wrote reports, they created labels and cards. They created charts and graphs. They did some genealogy reports. They did every job known to humankind. Now Jesus worked with heavenly efficiency and Satan was faster than hell. <laughs> then 10 minutes before their time was up, lightning suddenly flashed across the sky. Thunder rolled, rain poured, and, of course, the power went off. Satan stared at the blank screen and screamed every curse word known in the underworld. Jesus just sighed. Finally, the electricity came back on, and each of them restarted their computers. Satan started searching frantically, yelling, It's gone! It's all gone! I lost everything when the power went off! Meanwhile, Jesus quietly started printing out all of his files from the past two hours of work. Now, Satan observed this and became irate. Wait, he bellowed. That's not fair. He cheated. How come he has all of his work and I don't have any? God just shrugged and said, 
Jesus saves. <laughs> Again, I say, what a colossal waste of time. What a diversion from the real work of the church. Before we can even begin to focus on the church's justice work, we have to be clear about the purpose of the church itself. And when I say church, mostly today, I mean with a capital C. All our efforts will amount to a handful of mittens if we don't connect with what we do with what our mission statement says we are. The late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has succinctly described the purpose of the church in a sermon from 1966. Therein, he begins a pattern of what the church does, followed by what the church is or is not. The underlying question, justice or just us? King commences, what do we do? We preach good news to the poor. We heal the brokenhearted. We set at liberty those who are captives. We stop throwing away the precious lives that we've been given. What do we be? We cannot be an entertainment or social center. We have a purpose. The church deals with ultimate concern. In the face of adversity day in and day out, we embody eternal hope without apology. King continues, what do we do? We free people from prejudices, from fear, from judgment, from expectations, from the culture, from conformity, and from their own thoughts. We stop living someone else's life. So what do we be? We cannot be stations of the status quo. We have a purpose. We devise alternative ways of living and being in the world. So what do we do? We live now and not in the future. The realm of the good is already here, and whenever we decide to do what is right rather than what is expedient, we stop living inside our own heads. What do we be? We cannot be mindless followers of maniacal leaders. We have a purpose. We insist on making meaning for ourselves on the paths we have chosen. In the face of impotent, inherited faith, we embody a living tradition. What is the biggest challenge to church-based social justice programs? It is always one of scope and never one of intent. It's not what we do, but how we do it. To flesh this out, consider the observation of UU minister, the Reverend Richard Gilbert. He says it is so much easier to give bread to eat than it is to change the structures that make them hungry in the first place. Another pair of mittens, anyone? I tire of hearing about congregations who dole out drop-in-the-bucket gestures of justice as a tsunami of social problems waves over the land. Individual efforts, however noble, 
can sometimes make a mockery of social justice ministry and let too many of the rest of us off the hook. It is more self-help than selflessness. As Unitarian Universalists, we cannot simply do justice. We must be justice, every one of us, in a world that depends on inequality for its equilibrium. So what will it be, justice or just us? But what a conundrum. We you use are among the top wage earners on the planet. That is why it is easier to buy a pair of warm mittens than to build a block of warm houses. After all, time is money. Yet liberal religion compels us to choose whom we will serve and to make meaning from our choices. To be blunt, our history has taught us that we find our purpose whenever we cross the line from orthodoxy to heresy. That has been and always will be our calling, to test the boundaries of faith with the power of reason. Another purpose of the church is to be first responders to those who need us. It may be a spiritual crisis brought on by a significant loss. It may be an emotional crisis given the fear and division that characterizes American life. It may be a financial crisis, a food crisis, a housing crisis, a medical crisis, a family crisis, a teenage crisis. You get the idea. Being there for people, being there for people, includes, including those we don't know, puts hands and feet on our cerebral principles and purposes. This is required of virtually all church members if we are going to have the kind of impact that makes a difference, a real difference. Now, this necessarily aligns us with the downtrodden and may alienate us from the upwardly mobile. It makes us enemies of the state and foreigners in the homeland. Theologians Stanley Hauerwas and William H. Willimon liken it to being resident aliens on a planet held hostage by principalities and powers. Another purpose of the church is to welcome those who have had church doors shut on them elsewhere. So we have among us spiritual misfits, folk with emotional or mental instability or disability. We have those escaping toxic religion, and we have special needs kids. What I hear most often is this, I want to find a church where I can be myself. I want to find a church where I can be myself. This is a prerequisite for authentic spiritual growth. It is also a hallmark of Unitarian Universalism. Another purpose of the church is its educational ministry. For children, this is the foundation upon which they will make their daily decisions. For adults, it's an opportunity to go deeper into UU faith and practice. Now, all of these purposes build community, another hallmark of our chosen faith. 
There are other purposes I could cite as well. Congregations need to establish a primary purpose out of which other purposes flow. But Greg, you say, we can't do all of these things with equal zeal. We're a small church with limited resources and time. We simply can't be all things to all people. Exactly. Exactly. That's why vital churches pick one purpose and filter other purposes through it to see if they're really necessary. Churches with a clear purpose become known for their purpose. What is hope known for in Tulsa? Once you understand this church's purpose, then you know what the church has to be and do and what it should not be doing. It's the process of discernment, something every church has to do to remain relevant and focused. So here's an example. Hope's purpose could be environmental justice. Given our grounds and our commitment to, of so many of us to, the, to confront climate change. Have a distinguished speaker series. Plant trees in downtrodden neighborhoods. Conduct nature walks. Protest current and evolving federal policies to pollute. Hold climate conferences and nature camps. Just to name a few. Now hear me on this. I am not advocating for the choice of climate justice. It could just as well be the immigrant crisis, hunger, homelessness, trans rights. It could be just about anything. Whatever it is, it should have an outward focus. Remember, we are called to be the kind of heretics that fight the principalities and the powers and that change the structures that result in both an earthly and cosmic imbalance. We're the people who show up. So let us no longer be satisfied by slipping the homeless woman a few coins as we pass her on the streets. Instead, let us rise up and demand living wage laws that ensure no one has to beg for change. The living wage is a just wage. It is supposed to ensure that no human being should have to work full time and remain poor. But it never has and it never will. Oh, it'll take more time than tossing legal tender at a bag lady. It will take more effort than writing a check for charity. Why, we, we may even have to form coalitions with friends and foes alike to defeat the demon of poverty. Is the restoration of balance worth it? Is it? What is hope known for? Tim Temerson, a Unitarian Universalist, cites a study that shows an increase from the current minimum wage to just $10.25 an hour would pay for almost two years of childcare, full tuition at a community college for one year, or two years worth of heat and electricity. 
Now, in case you're a bit out of touch with the working class, the minimum wage in Oklahoma for a full-time worker in the service industry is $7.26 an hour. That's a grand total of $15,800 a year. According to the federal government, you live below the poverty line with a minimum wage. You're an oxymoron. You are the working poor. Now, is this too big an undertaking? Consider that over 120 cities and counties have enacted living wage laws. And remember what Dr. King knew. He said there is nothing but a lack of social vision to, present, to prevent us from paying an adequate living wage. Do you think you need more help in fighting these principalities and powers and dismantling the structures of injustice? Perhaps you should join the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee. Sometimes I wonder how folk can call themselves UUs and not support the excellent work of our service committee. They go to places we can't, and they minister to people we may not want to meet. I have always understood UUSC to be the missionary arm of our liberal religious movement, both here and abroad. Now, they don't convert souls, but they do convert ramshackle tenements into affordable housing. They changed parched earth into irrigated fields. They turned foul trenches into flushable toilets. They changed economic exploitation into equitable opportunity. And a long time ago, they converted me as well. See, they kept harping about the fair trade movement. It promised me an immediate and effective impact in the global struggle for economic justice. All I had to do was consume equal exchange coffee, and life would be better for coffee growers the world over. Of course, this is just another white liberal justification for doing what I already do. I just had to switch coffee brands and pay more for those jumping beans. But those pesky folk at the service committee said even this wasn't enough. I had to do more, which meant another jolt of java for me. And I had to be an activist, which meant living outside my own head. I began, along with thousands of other members of UUSC and its partners, to do justice, to lobby the world's largest food chain to serve fair trade coffee at its restaurants. So I wrote letters, I made phone calls, I sent emails. Moreover, I ducked under the golden arches and inquired about the coffee they served. I, along with so many others, had to show up. My growing caffeine habit finally paid off. <laughs> According to the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee, McDonald's soon announced it would begin serving fair trade coffee. Now I might just have to start actually eating there. <laughs> Talk about sacrifice. My own sipping did little more than make me feel better. McDonald's big gulp 
means more growers can stay on their land, feed their families, and keep their children in school. I was not too small to stand up to a global corporate giant because I was not doing it alone. I was a drop in the bucket. My Unitarian Universalist Service Committee sat at a bargaining table that my coffee cup and I would never see. It bears repeating. As Unitarian Universalists, we cannot simply do justice. We must be justice, every one of us, in a world that depends on inequality for its equilibrium. So what does hope stand for? What is hope known for? What will it be, my friends, justice or just us? To the glory of life. <laughs>